Parashat Terumah. Vaidaber Adonai el Moshe Lemor. Daber el Bene Israel. Veikhuli Terumah. And they should take for me Terumah, meaning they should take something from their possessions and give it to me. Me'et kol ish. From any man, asher yidevenu libo, that his heart wants to give, terumati, only take from the people who want to give from their heart. Vezota teruma asher meitam, and then it starts listing the different items that they needed. They needed zahav, they needed gold, chesef, they needed silver, nehoshet, copper. They need all different types of wool. They needed uh, different types of leather. They needed wood. And it lists all the items that they need all the way till the end when it talks about the precious stones. Abne Shoham ve'abne miluim la'efod ve'lahoshen the Kohen Gadol had on his clothing some very precious stones. All of those are listed here in the beginning of the parasha. So there's a number of things that uh, are worthwhile to spend a few minutes on. Try to do as many as possible. Right in the beginning it says, Daber el Bnei Yisrael. You should speak to Bnei Yisrael. Why over here does it begin that way? What's the Daber talking about? Just say, Hashem, by Daber Hashem el Moshe lemor. Lemor means go tell them. Go tell them that they should take a terumah. That's usually how it works. Hashem tells Moshe, Lemor, go say the following. Here it says, go say, Daber al Go speak to them. What is this speaking before he tells them what he wants from them? It doesn't say, go speak to them to keep Shabbat. It doesn't say, Daber al Israel. It says, And you should keep the Shabbat, finish. Why does it say, Daber, go talk to them? So over here, the, one of the, personally something for me that I feel very, very connected to, I feel like it's something that I think about a lot, and it comes from this Bala Turim. Happens to be one of the most powerful points that will change so many things in a person's life. Says the Bala Turim, Patah Daber el Bene Israel. Meaning he opened up with go speak to them. He says, Lashon Fius. The word Pius means he's giving them appeasement. The word appeasement actually is a Hebrew word. Appeasement comes from the word Fius. When you try to appease somebody, it means you try to convince them, you try to make them want something that maybe they don't want to do. So says Hashem to Moshe Rabbeinu, go appease the Jewish people. Kemo, like he brings other places. Daberu alev Yerushalayim. Which means, go speak to the heart of Jerusalem. Means go appease her. That, that's what this that's what the word daber over here means. Daber doesn't mean go and order them. Here daber means go and try to convince them. What is he trying to convince them to do? To give charity. Any anybody who's collected charity understands what daber means in this situation. Daber means you have somebody that you want to give him the zechut of being a part in something to give of himself or his money. And you need to uh, convince him. You need to explain to him why it's good for him to give money to whatever it is that you're trying to get money for. So this is not something unusual. Daber el Bnei Yisrael, says Rashi, Bishvil she'yiyeh bo kis. 
Which means, unlike other things, this one is a little harder because it's about a person losing financially. He's going to lose money. Not so easy for a person to give up of his money. So therefore, go ahead and appease them. You see, first of all, how much a person's money means to him that uh, in other halachot, the Torah doesn't say go appease them. doesn't say go appease them to keep Shabbat or go to appease them to keep uh, Pesach. But when it comes to money, it's a, it's a very, very big connection to a person's uh, being. And taking money from the person can be sometimes feeling like taking skin from the person. Very hard. That's what the Torah says. You should love Hashem with all your money. It's not so easy. Okay, fine. It says over there, love Him with with all your heart with your life and with your money. You already told me with my life. What, what else, what's left? If I have to love Hashem and I'm ready to give up my life. And then it says, and also by the way, you should give your money. If a guy is willing to give up his life, then surely he's going to give up his money. Hazal say no. There are people that are willing to give up their life, but not willing to give up their money. They're ready to jump off the building for Hashem. But to give their money, they're not willing. There you go. Okay, this is current, current events. This is life. Fine. So to convince people to give charity, this is a very big undertaking for a person to let go of his money. Therefore, they need extra appeasement. That's what the Bala Turim says. So again, collecting charity... You have to get people to feel the need and to feel the zechut of being able to give money to help others. So, why do I say this Bala Turim is very powerful? Seemingly, it's a very nice Bala Turim that tells you the proper attitude of talking to someone that you want them to give of themselves, especially when it comes to money. Problem is, over here, it's really not the right place for such a conversation which means if any of us would go to somebody to have him give up money for something this would be a beautiful pasuk by the way it's the right thing to do when a person is asking others to help it should not come under pressure it should not come under uh, uh, under duress it shouldn't be that way it's not the way people should give charity it should come Yes, you actually talk to them, but you have to make them feel the need and realize the value of what they can do with their money. That's the way one is supposed to help others give of their money. Only issue is, in this particular situation, it seems to be out of line. The reason why it's out of line is because these people that we're talking to are sitting in a desert. Before they were in the desert, they were slaves for hundreds of years. Slaves don't own anything. That's part of what a slave is. Slave is owned. He doesn't own anything. So you're talking to a nation of slaves that didn't own a, a, a penny in their life for hundreds of years. They moved on to the desert, so they really didn't get a chance yet to buy any real estate. They didn't get a chance to make money. So where do they have money to give? Where are they getting this gold and silver and all these precious items? Where are they getting it from? They don't have it. Where did these people have money to give? So the answer is that when they were about to leave Egypt, as Hashem promised Abraham Avinu, that they would walk out with wealth. They basically went and took all the wealth of Egypt and went out with them. Which means that anything they had was clearly given to them by the Creator. You know, a person goes to work and he makes money. At least there is a Yetzirah to feel that he made the money. It's his money. But when a person just received a huge endowment or a huge, whatever it is, 
a huge amount of Yerusha from somebody that gave it to him, it seems to be very inappropriate that you have to go appease the person to give back the money. What happened to Hakaratatok? What happened to the obligation that a person is supposed to feel grateful and reciprocate to the one who gave him? So here, the creator of the world just gave them the wealth miraculously. There was no work. There was no investments. There was no sweat. Basically, it was a gift handed to them from the creator of the world. He says, go, take it. It's my gift to you. I love you. It's yours. Now, a few days later, we need to build the Mishkan. We need to build an edifice to house the creator of the world. And now we have to beg them. We have to sit down and appease them to give money. Where is their feeling of Hakaratatov? Don't they owe the money? Isn't the feeling of Hakaratatov, isn't it a feeling that I owe when someone does me a favor? Don't I owe him? Isn't that what the Torah tells us about when someone does something for you, you're supposed to feel obligated to reciprocate and to give back? Isn't that what we learned? And if that's what we learned, so why over here do we have to go and tell the guy, put my arms around them, you know, you should give, it's the right thing. We need you, it's good for you, it's good for your future. What do you need that for? Tell the guy, listen, you just got this wealth, it was a gift, and the one who gave it to you is asking for some back. So tell me what you want to give. That's the way you approach it. Imagine, I imagine, and I'm sure this has happened in one way or another, imagine a father or a grandfather decides that he's going to give all his money. He's made a lot of money in his life. He decided he wants to give all his money to his children while he's alive. He doesn't want to give it to them after death. He wants to give them now. Maybe it was for tax reasons. Maybe it was because he wanted to give them the gift before they took it, whatever it is. So he gives out all his money to his children. Each one woke up one morning and their bank account exploded. The bank didn't know what to do with, with, with all that money. Beautiful. Then something in a few weeks happens and he realizes he needs to go to Israel. Him and his wife are going to Israel. Problem is, they don't want money. He needs $10,000, $20,000. How do you think he would get on the phone to his children? What do you think he'd say? He'd say, guys, you think you just find it within your heart to maybe help me? You know, I need to go to Israel. I don't have money for a flight. You think you're gonna, you, you have to go and put your arms around them? I, I see you saying yes. Seemingly, it's not appropriate. Seemingly, the right way in that case is you call him up and say, by the way, <laughs> write me a check. I need the money. He just gave you all the money. So now he's asking for some back. This is not an appropriate situation for appeasement. They owe you everything besides the money. They owe you your, their life and the money you just gave them. You just get on the phone and say, give me the check. Done. And nobody would be upset. Nobody would be shocked by such a conversation. But why over here does the creator of the world model to us a little different what we would have done? If I was that father, I would not put my arms around my children and say, guys, you know, maybe you could help me. Let me see. You know, would you want to do it for your father? What are you talking about? I just gave you the money. I wouldn't do that. So why is the creator of the world modeling for me and you something that seems to be somewhat off? It almost seems like the creator of the world doesn't expect these people to have hakaratatov. He doesn't appreciate, he doesn't expect them to be grateful. Why doesn't he expect the people to be grateful and therefore say, this is what I need 
and this is how you can repay me. Why does he not do that? Why does he make it like they don't have to do that? That's a question. So the answer to this question, perhaps, perhaps, I say this with not, not exaggeration, perhaps this is the most powerful rule in life. This could be the most powerful rule in life. If it's not the most, it's got to be up there with the top five. Listen to this rule. The rule is, and this most people, most people make a very tragic mistake in this rule, and they pay very heavy prices in this world with their families and in the next world. It's a heavy price that you pay if you don't know this rule and if you don't live by it. We just said that a person must be grateful for someone who did something good for him. The more someone does for you, the more grateful. The definition of grateful doesn't just mean, oh, I feel so grateful. Grateful means you do what you can to give back. You reciprocate. The least you can do is say, thank you. I once told you that the word thank you comes from the word think. Thank comes from the word think, which means that I'm not able right now to give you something, either because you don't need it or I don't have it, but I'm thinking about you. And when the time comes that I can give you, I'm going to give you. So when you owe someone because they gave you, it means you got to give them back something. Maybe not now, maybe when you can, but you got to think about it. You got to have to have it in your mind that there will be once an opportunity and you need to give back. That is an obligation the Torah teaches us. And by the way, it's an obligation that every human feels so long as they realize they're getting something. If they feel entitled, they feel they didn't get anything. But so long as a person feels they received something, automatically they have a desire to want to give back. That is clear. However, however, when it comes, and by the way, maybe you've heard this before, because I've said this a number of times, but this is not something you hear once in your life. This is something you have to hear, probably in its value, you have to hear it once a day. That's how important this is. You have to always do hazara on this. You have to do review one more time, one more time, one more time. Because important things in life, if you don't think about them again and again, they can easily escape you. You have to do hazara again and again. Usually in life, usually in life, when somebody owes money or owes something to somebody else, usually that means that the other person has the right to collect the money, which means owing is a two-way street. If I owe you a million dollars, it means that you have the right to a million dollars from me, right? I owe you, you have the right to collect it. Usually, owing is a two-way street. You don't owe somebody and they have no right to collect. That doesn't, that's, not, that's, not, that's not the way it works. If I owe you, it means that you also have the right to take it from me. Now, when it comes to when it comes to gratitude, this is the one exception to the rule of owing. Owing anything in life creates on the other side someone who can demand the money, can demand what they're owed. But when it comes to hakaratatov, it's an exception. It's an exception to the rule, which means that hakaratatov is a one-way street. It's not a two-way street. The recipient of hakaratatov owes the person who gave them. But the person who gave them has no right, not only has no right to collect it, but has no right even to expect it. 
which means you can give someone the most amazing, special gift. You have no right, no right to think that the person owes you. Unbelievable. When it comes to Hakaratatov, there is a huge obligation on the recipient to pay back the one who gave them. But the one who gave them, someone gave you a gift, someone did you a favor, has no right, no right, no zechut, no merit to even expect it. Forget they have no right to go collect it. That's not even... It's more than that. They don't even have the right to expect it, which means you raise your children and 20 years you spend sacrificing everything you got for your children. You do every, you're the best father, you're the best mother. You went all out for them. You're supposed to wake up every day and expect nothing from your children. Go try that. You have employees. Then you go all out for them. You go out of your way to help them. They have a wedding, you help them make the wedding. They have a need, you go out of their way to make sure they're taken care of. You do everything for them. Every day you walk and see them, you have zero expectation of them giving you back. A person has a student and they give, and they give their life to their student. He must walk in every day and see the student, and you owe me nothing. That's the way I expect. I expect nothing from you. You help a poor person who's having a hard time in life, and you put him in a place, and you give him his needs, and basically, you're keeping the guy alive. You cannot expect anything back from him. You give, you, got, you give someone your kidney. What do you think? Give a guy a kidney. You can't expect anything from him. Now, I want to tell you something. I'm going to explain to you in a second why. If people would live by this rule, they would be the most beautiful marriages there would not be one divorce. There would not be one divorce in this community if people lived by this rule. There would not be one divorce. There would not be one issue with parents and their children. Not one. I guarantee it. Not one. But you'll say, no, what about that issue? There will not be one issue in family relationships. There will not be any issue in businesses with partners. There would not be an issue. The reason why is because if you go to the core of every disagreement, especially with family and people that you're close to, at the very core of the disagreement is a person who feels that they're doing so much for this relationship and they're not getting enough back. A woman sits at home says, I do so much for this marriage. And guess what he does for me? Nothing. Yeah, on my birthday. He wrote me a card. That's what I get. A card with all that I do. Now, by the way, if a regular stranger drops off a card for your birthday, you say, I love the guy. Can't believe it. He thought of me. Who, who thinks on my birthday he drives me a card? He spent 10 minutes to write a card. So beautiful. But the guy, this guy, you know, I, I gave my whole life to you. You write me a card? The neighbor that you drive every day to work, every day, he's waiting outside. Every day. You, you mind if I come with you? Every day. Every day. Purim time comes around. What do you think he's going to give you? Purim time. You know, people will give... Small baskets to small people, big baskets to big people. You understand? 
The guy never offered you a lift. The guy never offered you, didn't send you mazah for Shabbat, nothing. You think Purim is coming? He's probably saving up all the money to give you Mishloah Manot. Yeah, no, no, that's zero, worse than zero. Gives you a banana and grape juice. I'm telling you, if people live their life this way, they would be the happiest people. Because you know why? So many things people do for us daily. But doesn't really register as anything because in our minds, they owe us. So when somebody owes you, they're never going to do enough. I work more than you. I bring in the deals. Yo, okay, you're a regular guy. So, you owe me. When do, why do all partnerships have issues? For this reason. This guy thinks he's working more. He thinks he's working more. He thinks he's producing more. And therefore, based on what they think and how much they're owed, they're not getting enough back. Did I get enough appreciation? Every marriage is like that. Every fight is like that. Every relationship that's broken at the core, 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 if you keep going, keep digging, 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 it's people who expect more because of what they gave. Now, true, the other person owes you. Your kids owe you their life. Kibbut Abba'em is a very hard mitzvah. Your children owe you their life. They're supposed to give you everything they have. But you can't expect it. You can't expect it. Why not? Why not? Very simple reason. It's a very, by the way, it's not a deep reason. There's a very simple reason. It's not like a hulk, you can't understand it. Very simple reason. Can't expect it because when you do someone a favor, when you give someone a gift, when you do someone kindness, if you have a string attached, then it's not kindness. If I give you something because I'm expecting something back, even if I expect something like a thank you back, then there's a string attached. So if a person is giving and they're expecting, they're giving their wife, they're giving their children, they're giving the people, the poor people in their city, they're helping. If they're giving and they're expecting something back, then there's something wrong in their giving. They're not really giving. Which means that at the core of a person expecting is a person who's selfish. And even when they give, it's really about themselves. Even when they give their children, it's really back to them because they're waiting for one day how they're going to get paid back. Whether they get paid back with respect or they get paid back in other ways, other, in other currency. A person who expects is a person who isn't doing pure kindness. And therefore, without pure kindness, we know that this world, Olam Hesed Yibanet, the world of a person, every person's world can only be built with kindness. And you'll say, but I do so much kindness, so much kindness for my family and friends and everybody else. I'm a world of kindness. But if your kindness has even a little bit of expectation back, so you're not in kindness. If your world has no kindness, then your world cannot, cannot succeed. Your world cannot be powerful. A marriage with pure kindness is a marriage in Gan Eden. It doesn't even matter who is married to each other. A relationship that has true kindness, pure kindness, is going to be an awesome relationship. That's the way it's supposed to work. And the, great, the creator of the world models for us in this parasha, stands there as a role model and tells Moshe Rabenu, you know, these people, by the way, I created them. By the way, I made miracles for them for an entire year. By the way, they crossed through the Yamsuf. By the way, in the desert, they're getting man every day. They're getting water every day. They have clouds of glory protecting them. By the way, all these people. And by the way, all the money that they just got, they have, I gave it to them just now. But when you go and ask them to give something back, you appease them. You don't say the Creator wants. You say, can you give something back?
because you want them to understand that the Creator, what He did for them was all kindness. If the Creator would demand something back from them, it would be taking away from His kindness. He doesn't do that. He wants them to have hakaratatov. Yes. So yes, should your children be giving you back? Absolutely. Should you feel bad when they don't give you back? Yes. But you should feel bad not because they owe you, that you feel that you're not getting what you're owed. It shouldn't be a personal pain, which usually it is. When your children don't give you back, it's usually personal. That's why you'll find lines like, after all I did feel. This is the way you treat me? All different types of variations of that line. People could say it in many different ways. If that's the reason why you're upset that your children aren't doing for you, then you're off the mark. And it's not going to end in a good place. When your children don't do what they're supposed to do, are you supposed to be feeling bad? Absolutely. But why are you supposed to be feeling bad? Because they're not, just like if your children would steal from someone, would you feel bad? Yeah. Why? Because they didn't steal from you. Because stealing is a bad thing. When you see your children doing something wrong, you feel bad for them. And you want to help them be better. So when they don't pay you back as their father and mother, you should feel bad. Absolutely. But why are you feeling bad? You're feeling bad because they are not living up to their obligation. And by the way, if you have that feeling when they don't pay you back, you'll be able to solve it and help them so much better. But if it's coming from a place of pain because you're hurt, because how could they do this to you? And because you feel that, that you are owed, if that's where it comes from, usually anger is attached. Usually it comes out in not a good way and it ends up being counterproductive. So yes, a person should feel bad when their students aren't showing Hakarato because they're failing in their obligation. But separate the two not an easy thing I will tell you it's not an easy thing to do to walk into your house every day and to expect nothing from your spouse nothing it's not an easy thing to do it's something that requires constant work and constant reminders that your position in this home is one of thank you Hashem for giving me the opportunity to give if I lived alone, I couldn't give. If I didn't have children, I couldn't give. Without being able to give, I'd be like a dead person. Hazal says someone who can't give is like a met. So thank you, Hashem, that I'm not dead. Thank you that you gave me a wife that I can give to. Thank you for giving me children that I can give to. What would I do if I didn't have someone to give to? And you walk into your home and that's your attitude daily. You know what happens when... I if you honestly feel that way, you know what happens in that home? Your wife makes you a bowl of soup for dinner. You're so appreciative. What would happen if a stranger came to your house and made you your favorite soup hot right when you came home? You'd say, wow, I can't believe it. You thought about me. It's so nice. You thought of my soup that I like and you brought it exactly when I'm here and, and it's hot. It's great. So thank you so much. But for most people, if their wife would make a plate a bowl of soup, they'd be very disappointed. After all that I do, I get a bowl of soup. That's it. That's what I'm worth. You you ordered something from the from the sushi place. That 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 that's it. Sitting, I'm slaving all day for this family. But that's really what life would become. It would become a life where everything you get back is the most appreciated, enjoyed, and it brings a tremendous love and ahava. A person who walks around with this attitude is guaranteed, I have no doubt, guaranteed that all the relationships in their life will be top-notch.
full of simha from all the areas which comes out that this the opposite of this if, if the person doesn't do this it's the cause of a tremendous amount of pain so anyway this is what we see in the beginning of the parasha Hashem role models for us he said I want to tell you that what I do for you is kindness and therefore I don't demand it back it's kindness if I demand it back it means there's something that's in it for me. Now somebody in here might be asking, but doesn't Hashem demand from us to do mitzvot? Doesn't he say, Anochi Hashem Elohecha, Asher Hotzeticha Meheres Misraim, I took you out of Egypt, you owe me. Keep Shabbat, you owe me. When I keep Shabbat tonight, starting at Shabbat, I say, Hashem, I owe you this Shabbat. You know why I'm doing it? Because I owe you. So doesn't Hashem tell us to do the mitzvot because we owe Him? Oh, it all depends on why you're telling me to do it. If Hashem is telling us to keep Shabbat because He needs the Shabbat, then it's a problem. But when He says, you owe me, He uses that as a way to help me become greater than I am. He says, don't you know you owe Hakarato? So this is how you pay me back. It's not for him, it's for you. Person models this is a person that's about to enter Gan Eden in his life. If you haven't acquired this Midah, there is a Gehinam aspect to your life. And the moment you start making this change, Start today, start tonight, Shabbat table, start wherever you can implement this. I will tell you, you're opening the doors to Gan Eden in this world. You're opening up a new door that's going to give you pleasure in so many things that before you were missing because you had the wrong attitude. Daber el Bene Yisrael. That's what Hashem says to Moshe Rabbeinu. Go talk to them. I don't expect from them. I will not demand from them. I want them to give. Now, one more thing and then we'll stop. I had so many things. Which teruma? What is this teruma that they're giving? What's the donation that they're giving? So simply the donation that's being discussed here is the donation of building the Mishkan. That's the, sub that's the subject. But Hazal, our rabbis see that over here the word Terumah keeps being repeated unnecessarily. Ve'yikholi Terumah Tikhu et Terumati you don't have to keep saying the word terumah. You said it once already. When you talk about a subject, you say it once, and then you keep referring back to it. You don't have to say the name every time. Why does it say terumah three times? Comes Rashi, Allah Shalom, and says that really there were three different types of giving that was being asked of the Jewish people. One of them, Rashi says, the first one is Mahasita Shekel. Mahasita Shekel. Mahasita Shekel is when they gave the 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 uh, the money, right? It says over here, Mahasita Shekel Kolehad, he says. Sorry, let me just get it for you. They had to give for each person. They had to give a certain amount of money. And from them they made the, the adanim, the sockets. Where they put the walls of the mishkan. They had to put sockets to put in the wood. So they made a collection for sockets. And then they made a collection 
for buying the animals to be brought for the tzibur, for the community. They had a fund where they would buy animals, so people had to give to that. And then the third one, the third one is the donation that they had to give from their heart to the Mishkan. Very interesting. The first donation was not voluntary. The first donation, they had to give it. The Mishkan, if they want, from their heart. But the first one, to build the sockets, to buy the sockets, that had to be an obligation. The question is why, when we're collecting for the Mishkan, and we're seeing the value of a person giving from his heart, how come, when it comes to the sockets of the Mishkan, over there, you have to give. Everyone has to give. They went around and said, oh, for the sockets, you have to give. You want to give for the Mishkan everything else? Only if you want. But the sockets, you have to give. Why is it like that? So, I want to just share with you very short, very briefly, that the highest level, the highest level of a relationship is a relationship that comes out of obligation and not out of from the heart. That's not what people think. If I give out of obligation, it's a greater giving than if I give voluntary. Interesting, right? You wouldn't think that. You would think if I give voluntary, that's awesome, it's from the heart. If I give out of obligation, it's not as great. But it's not that way. Hachamim tell us that a person who's commanded and does the commandment is greater than the one who gives it voluntarily. That means if you tell your son to get you a cup of water and he gets it for you, you commanded him, it's greater than if he sees you eat a cup of water and he runs to get you water. Me and you would have thought the opposite. The one who did it on his own shows how much he loves me. Shows how much ahava he has for me. The one who has to be commanded to give, that's not as great. How come that's higher? Follow? Why is it that someone who's commanded and gives out of obligation is greater than the one who gives from his heart? Follow? So I'm going to tell you why. In very, very short. There are two types of people in this world. They are givers and takers. And sometimes in life, we find ourselves at opposite ends. Sometimes you give and sometimes you take. Now be warned that giving and taking isn't always with the motion of the hands. Which means sometimes you can give like this. Your hand's going this way, but you're really taking. When you go to a pizza store and you give them money, you're not giving them money. You're taking pizza. The guy who sells you pizza and he gives you pizza, he's not giving you food. He's taking money from you. But he knows he can't get the money unless he gives you something. So when you go this way, it's not always that you're giving. It could be that you're taking. And by the way, sometimes even when you're taking, it can be giving. For example, let's say, I don't really want to take this gift from you because I feel I'm going to be beholden to you. I feel like I'm going to be now your evid, your slave. When you take gifts from somebody, evid ish, right? Evid love. The, 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 the borrower becomes an evid to the lender. says You should be a guy who hates gifts. Because every time you get a gift, you become beholden to that person. You lose your, uh, your ability to make choices. So I don't want to take the gift from you. But you know what? I know that it would mean a lot to you if I would accept your gift. So therefore, I'm accepting the gift. Not because I want a free gift. Because I want to make you feel good that I accepted your gift. A husband comes home and buys his wife something. Yes? Not necessarily she has to accept it because she's waiting for a gift. She could accept it because it makes a husband feel good that she's willing to accept the gift that he gives her. Someone who gives you a gift and you don't accept it, it's very hurtful. So when you accept a gift from somebody, 
that in itself could be giving. I'm giving you by accepting your gift. So not always is the motion of the hand going to tell you, is this giving or taking? Good? They are givers in life and they are takers in life. Giving, living as a giver, is living as a giver is the highest way of life. It's living life like the creator of the world. He is a giver. Living with attitude of takers, I'm always taking. Yes, that's my attitude. That is the opposite of a great life. A great life is a giver. A horrible life is a taker. Good? There is a form of giving and taking that people are not so aware of. What's that? When I feel obligated to someone, yes, that shows that I'm a giver. Correct? Oh. How do I know when someone is really a giver? I just told you, if you see them writing checks, it's not a proof. If you see them helping people, it's not a proof. Because anything that they do could be for some compensation, either now or later on in their life, or maybe in all I'm about. You don't know what a person is doing for someone else. Is that a real kindness? Or is that just an investment that they're looking to collect back on later on? You don't know. So how do you ever know if someone is a giver? Is there a sign of someone for himself? I'm not talking about other people. For yourself. It's very hard to even know in yourself if you're a real giver. It could be your whole life you're giving, and your whole life it's all about you. So is there a way for a person to know if they're a giver or a taker? Is there a sign that they can use as this shows that I'm a giver? The answer is there's one sign. The sign is if you are a person who feels obligated to give back to those who gave you even small things, you feel an obligation to pay back. Why is that a good, a good siman? Because listen, givers, when they receive, what do they feel? Givers hate to take. And takers hate to give. When a taker gets, he feels like, okay, I'm deserving. It's mine. They're lucky they can give me. They're lucky. A little kid tells his mother, you're lucky that you can cook for me. You're lucky that I'm in this home. You're laughing, but that's what he feels. His mother's running after him to feed him, and she says, oh, this woman is so hot, so lucky. She gets to serve someone like myself. That's what a child feels. So when he's getting, he's not feeling, oh, uh, I got to give back. Well, give back. They're not giving me enough. You only bought me a $40,000 car? What, what, do you, what do you think I am? Where, where's your, where is your value for your children? You know how many people got a car and got so disappointed? They didn't get the right car and were depressed for a month and got upset with their parents? How do you explain that? Answer is that you're a taker. And when you're a taker, not only do you not feel that you got, you didn't feel you got enough. You usually shortchange when you're a taker. Because your whole life is about taking. Good? When a taker gets, he doesn't feel an obligation to return back. Why would he return back when he's supposed to be getting, getting more? But a person who's a true giver, if they got something, what happens when a giver gets something? They hate feeling like a taker. A giver hates being a taker. So when a giver gets something from someone, what does he feel? He feels an urge, a desire. He feels an obligation to give back. He doesn't want to be a taker. A giver wants to pay back. A taker has no interest in paying back. So when does a person know if he's a giver or a taker? If he feels a constant, a constant feeling to give back to the people in his life, whether it's his mother, his father, his brothers, his sisters, his rabbis, his friends, people that are doing things for him, if he's feeling in his life constantly, what can I give back to these people? Yes? Then you are called a giver. If your rabbi has been teaching you every day and you never thought one time what I can do for him, not because he wants you to do for him, but if you never thought one time what I can do for him, then that's a sign that you are a taker. It's a horrible feeling, but it's true. 
if you're not thinking what you could do for your wife constantly, right, then you're a taker. If you're not thinking about what you can do for others that do for you, you're a taker. It's simple as that. The people that work for you, you they do for you. So if you're a giver, you want to show them appreciation. A giver is a person who hates to take. And when they take, because it's not possible not to take, they feel the need, the fire to give back. And they spend their life thinking about who do I pay back? Who, how can I give my mother back a little more than I do? How can I give this person a little more? That's what they do. That's how they live. Oh, that's why a person who does out of obligation is greater than the one who does it from his heart. Because when you do from your heart, so it's nice, but it's also doing what you want to do. When I give you from my heart, it means I want to do this. So there's also a little bit of selfishness in that. Because you love to give your parents. You love to help. It's from your heart. I want to give from my heart. But when I do it out of obligation, when I do it because I have to, why do I have to? Because I owe. When I do it out of obligation, it's because I owe, because I don't like to take, because I am a giver. So a person who does out of obligation is greater than the one who does from the heart. Yes? Now, that's why when it came to the giving of the money to the Mishkan, Hashem wanted from the heart. Because that also has a, an advantage. When you give from the heart, there's an advantage that you're giving with all your heart. But Hashem says we can't start with the heart. The foundations of the Mishkan, which is the foundations of the person, cannot start with the heart. A relationship cannot be a heart-to-heart -heart relationship. It has to be built on obligation. I am obligated. I'm obligated to my wife and you're obligated to me. That's how relationships are built. We built on obligation, not on giving. There's a place for giving from the heart. But great relationships are built on obligation. So Hashem says before the collection for the Mishkan, wait, we're going to ask each guy to give from his heart. Wait, 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 hold on. We're going to go to each guy and say, Listen, you're obligated. You got to give. Because this relationship can't be built only on the heart. It needs to be built on obligation. That's the way it works, not only between each other, with Hashem, with God. Every morning we wake up and we ask, what's my obligation? What do I have to do? That is a sign of a true giver. Have a beautiful day.